Hello, folks. Welcome to Court Cell Wellness. I'm your host, Brandon St. Croix, former athlete and current sports social worker. On today's episode, we're joined by Heidi Luby, former provincial athlete in basketball and diving and current psychotherapist at the Jacob Hollister Memorial Foundation. Heidi joins us to talk about her own experience as being a former athlete, the transition out of sports, and how it fuels her work as a therapist. Heidi also discusses her work on the podcast, No Worries. So, folks, Enjoy and stay well. And folks, we're back to Courtside Wellness. Today we have Heidi Luby, former provincial athlete for basketball and diving and current psychotherapist at the Jacob Potter Memorial Foundation and the host of the podcast, No Worries. Thanks, Heidi, for joining us here on Courtside Wellness today. Thank you. It's always to be here. Really excited to have you on. We had a great chat about this there only in the last two months or so around your own experience of being an athlete and what that would have looked like for yourself and some of the heights of it, but also some of the struggles that comes with that as well. So really excited to have this opportunity to talk about this today. Yeah, when we, I guess, stumbled upon this conversation, we just like never stopped it until now. <laughs> and that's the thing, again, you know, we, I was fortunate enough to be able to be on the same cross-country team as yourself and track and field team as yourself, so got to see some of those moments. So for our listeners, tell us a bit about yourself and your own journey as an athlete. I think it's cool that also to note that like we went to school together. Like It's cool that to see you kind of do this, Like so big shout out to that. It's awesome. Yeah, I guess like super, super young, I was like always very athletic and like into adventure. Uh, and then when I was nine, I was in swimming lessons, and my swimming instructor just thought that I should like talk to the diving coaches and I like it quickly turned into like joining the provincial diving team. And I did that for like five years and I did a little bit of gymnastics, but diving at the time was like my shtick. And then after that, when I got into like grade six and grade seven, I, there were so many other sports to try like basketball and soccer and softball and cross country. And I excelled pretty quickly in cross country and track and field for a little bit. And then basketball was like the big passion so that was like what I stuck with for a long time and for yourself to become noticed for your sport at such a young age like I said at the age of nine having coaches come to you was there any felt pressure in terms of that or how did you handle that even at that age yeah I think I was only thinking about this recently like diving is one of those sports of like perfection like and not just like perfection and how you move but like how pretty you can make it um so it's almost like a little bit more of like an art performance as well and so to be able to perform at it but also like make it look good was something like I always found that wild like when I would be in my swimming lessons and like watching people on the diving boards especially the high ones um I guess even as a little babe I was like super into adrenaline and I just wanted to get up on like those really high boards, which like at the time I was too small, I wasn't allowed. So yeah, I think I just was always really attracted to things that were like different or like a little bit scary. And from there, I think just wanting to be really good became like the hot, like that became like the only, I guess, like necessary thing. And in terms of that drive for perfection, in terms of that want to be perfection, did that cause any additional stress at any point or how did you cope with it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like the, de eventually the demise. Like I, I found that, I guess because athletics always came a little bit easier and it was just something that I quickly caught on to and like really enjoyed doing. Like it became 
like surely my whole personality. I feel like that was probably through junior high and high school, just what I was known for any team I could play on. I did like, it was just like how I centered myself and like how I associated with people and how I viewed myself in the world. But yeah, like it was so hard to, because I would often want to get better. So I was so willing to receive like so much criticism despite how probably inappropriate it was delivered to me or like the things that were said from coaches that, you know, probably at the time were a little bit harmful, but I thought that surely if a coach was telling me to do something and I was capable of doing it, and then I saw the outcomes of that work, it became this like cycle of cool. If I can endure the hard things that they're going to say to me and I can watch myself get better, like this is a, this is a good cycle. Like I think I, I had all these positive associations with it that, we're not actually that helpful in long term. And if we're able to unpack that a bit, what did that look like when we're able to realize, okay, this is not a healthy thing? Or what was some of the signs for us to be able to say, okay, this is not a benefit to my life in terms of this need for criticism or this desire for criticism? And feel yeah. free to correct me if I'm kind of miswording yourself on that. No, that's right. That's totally right. I remember like watching... I actually played on a parental soccer team one summer and our coach, like his second language was English. So when he would deliver communication, it would sound very abrupt and like really broken sometimes. And I remember he often would like give me a hard time or like give me a lot of criticism. And I didn't think about it at all. Like I thought that's what he's supposed to do. I think I was probably like 13 at the time and I was like really used to receiving criticism and I was like, at least he's like paying attention to me and he wants me to get better. Like, that's the kind of things I associated it with. And it wasn't until I started seeing like my teammates, especially on like the provincial level, not so much on like the house league level, but when I would see them receive the same kind of like criticism, that was when I started noticing like, oh my gosh, like there's like, they didn't handle that well. Or that's like the association I had, like they didn't handle it well, not that well, like that, that coach probably could have reframed that in a much kinder, more effective way to still get the same result. So I think it was when I actually started seeing the people around me have like really, again, at the time what I thought was poor reactions. Now they're just like very human reactions to like really, really like probably at times non-constructive criticism that was like delivered like very aggressively. And I saw that the toll it was taking on them. Then I was kind of like, okay, maybe this is like a little problematic, like, the fact that I would kind of go searching for criticism and like searching for all of this feedback that like the people around me were actually hoping to avoid. Like I started, I was kind of like confused by that, especially when I got into high school and I started playing on provincial basketball teams were like trying to like, of course the hope was to like get so good that potentially like imagine playing on a university level. Like that was always in the back of my mind, no matter like potentially how far fetched it felt, but to look at all of these situations and, be like, how is this? Like, it has to be affecting me on some level. And it to the point where I, if it was like, if people were giving me good feedback, like if people were telling me like, oh, this is like great play or like, you know, like you were the like quickest person to finish the beep test, like things like that were, I had no interest in hearing things like that. Like none. I was like, well, that's not going to make me better. If you're just like giving me compliments I don't, I don't care about them. So I often was like really dismissive of like my own successes in that kind of way. But I think there was like this really pivotal moment when it was actually the last year I decided to play provincial basketball and we traveled to Kamloops and 
that summer, like I had been told that the only reason I made the team was because I like worked hard and it wasn't because I was talented, which was something I was used to hearing. Like I wasn't a talented player. I was like a really just hardworking player. And so we got in this game and like the coach had told me like when we are playing defense, like that is when you can play. And when we're playing offense, you have to stand in the corner and do nothing. And I remember thinking like, that is so unfair. Like I deserve to be here. I I think it was like, and I was probably like 17, it was probably under 18 at that point. And I was like, well, that just seems unfair. Like I've worked so hard and you're telling me I worked hard and that's why I'm here, but you're still going to punish me for no, for no reason and not give me any context as to why. So I think it was probably like towards when I was finishing all of my like provincial teams, I was like, maybe this isn't great. And I can imagine too, going through, like I said, a solid eight, nine, 10 year period of our life where that was what we were used to in terms of that was the norm and how that could translate into so many other areas of our life, even in terms of schooling with friends, with family, in terms of what what kind of messaging we were used to receiving. Did it have any of those impacts in those areas? Yeah. Well, I, f- I feel like I honestly felt so lost the year that I finished, like the last year I played provincial basketball. I also didn't play softball. I also didn't play soccer. Like I think in the moment I felt ready to take a break. And it was like the first summer that I, ne- I didn't play on any like provincial level team. Like I just played on house league teams, which Again, at the time, I wasn't really used to because I would spend like hours and hours and hours on a field playing soccer in a gym. And I was used to someone telling me almost every single day, like how to do something. So then when I finished that and I thought I would take a break and even like leaving high school and going to university, not playing on any provincial sports, just playing house league kind of stuff. I really struggled with like where I was headed because no one was going to tell me what to do or how to do it. And in ways like I missed the direction and I also missed the criticism and I I just felt like totally lost. It was so strange. And I can imagine too, going back to what you said around the identity piece. Yeah. You know, you're known as Heidi Luby, the driver, Heidi Luby, the soccer player, Heidi Luby, track. We're defined by our position, our sport, our role in the team. Yeah. And then when that's taken away or, that next step happens in life. It's okay. Who am I now or where am I going? Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I really struggled with that. Like that was so difficult. And it even, because I think in high school, like junior high and high school, I struggled a little bit academically because I was so invested in sports. That was the only interest I had. And I probably, I struggled a little bit with like focus and concentration, but like my mind was always like, if I could attend like the C, like any of the senior guys basketball practices or like meet up with any of our friends to just like shoot around. Like I was going to do that before I ever finished homework. Like that was always the option. So not only was I like missing out on that when I finished high school, I also had like no idea what I wanted to do, like what, how I was going to do it. And then the only things that appealed to me were like somewhat physically laboring jobs that could handle a lot of critique. So for years I actually thought I wanted to be a police officer And I tried to get into that program a couple of times. And I was like, this is for me. Like, if they're not letting me in, it means I can get better. Therefore, I should try harder. (laughs) Like, it kind of reinforced that whole thing again. And that was when I started volunteering as a firefighter as well. And it was the same thing. Like, there was so much to learn. It was like, there was a whole lot of responsibility. It was pretty physically demanding. So I got to meet a little bit of those things. But I also was constantly being instructed on how to do something and what to do. And like, when to do it. That it 
it gave me like that sense of like feeling home again. It's like wild to look back and think about how it all ties together and how it got me to where I am, even though like my, that my field now and like what I do and like how I engage in sports now is so it couldn't be more different than when I was growing up, but like so many of the things are still there. And I definitely want to get into that in terms of the work you do now. But before we get into that, in terms of that transition points, those can be so difficult on athletes in terms of understanding, okay, when this phase of life is done or this is starting to change. For yourself, what do you feel was missing or what do you wish was implemented in either during your athletic career or towards into your athletic career? Oh, this is actually such a good question. I feel like if someone just had to... Like I got, I think I got a lot of praise and like interest from like coaches and like even my, my parents, like they were so, my mom wanted me to try anything I wanted to try. So they were always pushing me to like, sure, if you want to join a new sport, go for it. Like if you happen to make that team, why not? That kind of thing. But I think if anyone had even shared, like there's so many other things that you could be good at, or if there was like, even in school, if there was more opportunity to engage in academics in a different way or think about like what the future could look like based on like what it is you enjoy about athletics. Because I think looking back on it again, like coaches always told me I wasn't making these teams because I was talented. I was making them because I just worked really hard and it, it showed that I wanted to be there. I was constantly told I was a practice-based player. So like, because I worked hard in practice, I would keep actual selected players in kind of in line and like where they should be. Cause if I'm working harder than them and I'm not, act and I'm only an alternate, then that probably means that they need to be working harder. So I was constantly told you're good. You're not good enough to be like starting line, but like, you're also like not bad enough to like not be with us. So anyway, when I look back on somewhere in there, surely someone could have said maybe there's something else you could try or even like coaching. Like I never, ever coached until I think I got in grade 12. And like, even that I, I kind of wish I had been introduced to a little bit younger or in a different kind of way. If someone just had to like share with me, like sports aren't going to like, this isn't going to be forever because of the reality that I knew, like I just wasn't talented enough, which was okay. And I, I, I was like plenty aware of that, but I just kind of wish someone had to say like, there's other things that you you can be good at. It's not just this. And there's so many things that kind of came up to me as you were saying all that. One is around that Kenneth Scott talks about in his book where he says 1% of athletes will go on to play professional, but 100% of athletes will retire at some point. And understanding that it will come to an end at some point, that doesn't mean that our life is over. Right. Understanding that we are more than just an athlete, that there's so many different vehicles that we can pull out of our garage and knowing, okay, I may be good at sports and sports may be something I enjoy, but I can also enjoy if it's music yeah. or if it's art or if it's hiking, or if it's how many other aspects of what life can be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think like, I'm actually like a very creative person. Like I love to craft things like that. And I didn't discover that until like, gosh, only a couple of years ago, I feel like a lot of the things that I like to do in my home, like I like to make them myself and like art and stuff like that. Like, and I just think about like, if I ever had the opportunity to be introduced to that younger, like maybe the identity piece wouldn't have felt like such a grief when I finished high school. Like, and it did feel like that. It felt like a loss. And on top of that, it was almost like a little embarrassing, like being in university and like not enjoying it because I wasn't, I wasn't being told like how to be good at it was like, I felt a little bit embarrassed. So like the grief and embarrassment was there, but I also like, I've learned so much about myself since. And I think that's the, 
great point because again it is a grieving experience in terms of okay this phase of life is no longer with us but it doesn't mean that we can't kind of add other things into our life yeah and for yourself was mental health or mental wellness ever a discussion among any of the teams or coaches that you have been involved with over your time oh my gosh no not never not one time (laughs) i don't think like there was so much opportunity for it like the expectation was like if you came to practice or if you showed up to a game and you didn't perform on the expected level, there was never any questions of like, is everything okay? Did anything happen before you got here? Like, do you need to chat? Like none of that ever happened. It was like, if you don't show up, you will ride the pine. And like that, there was no room for that. And even the way that some things were communicated um, or even just like not talked about, like I remember playing basketball one summer And one of the girls I played with, I think it was, she lost her dad. And like, we all as like her teammates would kind of like rally with her, but I don't think it was ever talked about. And I was like, she's here every single day. And like, it hasn't been mentioned and she's still expected to show up and be a leader and to show up. And there was just no room for that, which is looking back now, especially like with what I do is absolutely wild. And even the thing we had, Grayson Nair and Catherine Hutchins talked about it when we had them on the podcast. They talked about even around mindfulness. Mindfulness is a technique that we use in therapy. Mm. But again, mindfulness was just used in terms of performance. It was never used in terms of well-being or wellness or making sure we're mentally well ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it makes so much sense because even when I – I think I was probably like 18 when I discovered yoga and I started a yoga practice and I found – that could be a catalyst of like, it was like a lifelong learning kind of like in my mind, like at the time of sport. And it was just something that I could like, it would take me a long time to get good at. And even that idea, like I don't even look at yoga like that anymore. But at the time I thought like, wow, what a self journey it is for me to get good at these things that everyone around me is better than me at. And it's, those are the principles of that. It's like how to be mindfulness and like stay in the moment, meet yourself like with kindness. Like if you can't get into a posture that you got into yesterday, it's just a fleeting moment that will pass again tomorrow. Like there were so many principles that were so helpful in 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 that idea, like the mindfulness aspect of it. And I'm curious too, and I really like how you kind of phrased it, of, you know, in the past, looking for criticism is what kind of drove you forward. But now in the later phase of life, we're able to recognize, okay, that's not healthy for me. That's not been a beneficial thing for me. What was that journey like? Or how did that journey come to be to recognize and what needed to happen for you to recognize, okay, this is what needs to be implemented for me to live a healthy life? I think it was similar. Like if I was in even in like workplaces or if I was in different situations where if I were to receive criticism that like say coworkers were receiving, I would think nothing of it. And I'd be like, yep, yeah, I can like, ship up or I can like shape off and like those were my options. But when I would see other people experiencing it, I would be like, that's pretty unfair. And like that person probably didn't deserve to be spoken to in that way. Or like the criticism, like didn't actually have to be delivered as criticism. And I think the more I thought about it, the more it was like, you know, why would I treat myself different than them? Like just because I can tolerate it, it doesn't mean I should. And I think like self-compassion and like compassion in general was introduced in my life way too late. <laughs> uh, I'm like a huge advocate for that now. And like, that's actually like a, like a big cornerstone of my counseling practice is like working through a lens of compassion. And which is, again, is something I very rarely experienced through all of the athletics that I did. And in the moments that I did, again, I didn't 
I didn't receive them as like, this is helpful. Like that's not helpful at all. So the learning has been such a curve, but it's really cool to like reflect on it because I haven't thought about a lot of these things in that kind of way. And you talked about it there a little while ago, how the career path that even your athletic career directed towards in terms of policing, firefighting, and the flip of where you ended up. How did that process happen in terms of going into becoming a therapist? Right. It was, I honestly would never, I mean, if we went back into high school and like early university, this would be the last job I'd probably say I was doing right now. Like an, a job where I like primarily sit for the most of my day, like that in my mind, I would never have assumed that or like even thought that that could be a possibility. Like I thought I needed a pretty hands-on job. And I even thought about like going into a couple of trades just because it would keep me busy. Like that was where I thought that I could be, I guess just fulfill those parts of me that are a little bit idle and like very like physically based. But during firefighting, that was probably the biggest shift of that. Like when we respond to calls and like we would respond to accidents or house fires, or it could be as simple as like a fender bender. Like depending on what it was, I found myself like wanting to give these people who are terrified and in shock, like so much compassion and time. Like I was so interested in after we left and like they went to the hospital and we went home, like I would always think about like, where are they? How are they? I hope they're okay. I hope they got support. I hope they have family. Like those were the kinds of things I became like really focused on. And that was what led me into therapy, like into study. Like that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to actually pursue this. And in terms of the journey that has taken for you, would you say that there is any aspects of your athletic background that you bring into your practice? Oh yeah. All the time in like so many facets too. Like when I'm sitting with someone, like the ability that I have to, I think connect with people and know that like most people aren't probably like me and like, they probably don't receive information well in the ways that I can. Um, like I'm always very mindful of like my communication style. And just because something that worked for me, I know is like probably not going to work for everyone. So I'm just mindful of like, in general, like how we receive communication well. And also like how I'm communicating with, with my employees, like I manage a lot of our staff. And so like coming through a management perspective, th there's this like weird, I guess like imbalance where I am like very clear and concise and very assertive with our staff. And I know why that needs to be true but I'm constantly asking for feedback still. Like I'm asking our staff, like in our one-on-one -on -one meetings, could this have gone differently? Like, how could this have been better for you? Is there any way my performance is impacting you? Like I still find myself asking those types of questions of like, how do I get better? I want to be better. And it's all based in like my past. Like it's always based in like how I learned how to interact with like athletics around me. And it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do still find myself and at times looking for criticism, which is wild. And it's interesting how we're able to have that insight to know, okay, this is part of my experience. This is something that I've gone through as an athlete and being able to recognize it, but also able to see, okay, how can I find that balance of it? Because again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's again, how far across the line do I want to take this as well? Yeah. Yeah. And I never, and that's the thing, like I would never want to make any of my staff feel how I saw some of my teammates feel or even how like I felt at times. Like sometimes when I felt feedback was like super inappropriate or like in times when it, 
when I felt like how I was performing, it didn't actually match what someone was giving me feedback for. And I was like, no, I know myself well enough to know that I did an okay job. Like I never would want to make anyone feel how I know those situations can make you feel. Like I'm, I'm probably hyper aware of that now. And it's interesting because it reminds me of we're raised with the golden rule of oh, treat others how they want, how you want to be treated. Right. But it, and again, it reminds me, Trey Moses, we had him on in season one and he talked about how that's not necessarily always true. How we're all wired different, we're all had different experiences. So treat others how they want to be treated. Right. So get to know them as an individual, get to know what works for them and what responds best for them. And again, it works no different in athletics or as a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, Totally value that. And that when people like, despite what I think should happen in situations, if like, if people are telling me like, this is how I need this to go, I'm going to do my best to help them with that. Because at the end of the day, if that's what they need and that's, what's going to help the situation, I'm going to listen to that and honor that for them. Because like being clear is kind and being like totally present with people in the ways that they need it. And like to, to help them feel heard, like that is just, that can be more empowering than anything. So true. Again, you know, the kindness is something that sometimes gets forgotten in the day-to-day rush of life. Again, mm-hmm. you know, the last three years we've gone through COVID, people have been in a heightened state. Right. And you know what? Sometimes we forget how sometimes the smallest things can make the biggest difference. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like the the tiniest gestures can like change a whole day for people. And I really want to make sure we spend a bit of time here talking about the work that you do at the Jacob Hollister Memorial Foundation. You've been with the foundation since the beginning, I want to say? Yeah. the I started initially volunteering with them when, so the founder and our executive director, Kelsey, when she started it in 2017, she, uh, I kind of started volunteering and I was like really attracted to what she was doing. Again, it was like this like volunteer based situation where there was a lot of work to do and I was like all in, ready to go. And then in 2019, we got a physical location. And ever since, we've been offering like direct counseling services to youth. And that's a great resource. As we know, you know, there's definitely a need for mental health resources all across our province here in Newfoundland, Labrador. And it's a great service that you offer. We'll definitely include it in the show notes there for folks to to find more information about the Jacob Poster Foundation. And even in terms of shattering the stigma. And that's one thing we really reinforce here at Corso Wellness around shattering the stigma of mental health. And that's a lot of work that you guys have been doing as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, memory of the foundation is in like Kelsey's brother, Jake, like he passed away to suicide in 2016. And for anyone who knew Jake, he was like charismatic and funny and present and like an amazing friend and brother and son. And I think it was, it makes so much sense that like to have the foundation in his name is like why we're trying so hard to end the stigma. It's so nice when we have our events and like, I know you come to a lot of our events, which is great. Like our fundraisers and see, you know, their car shows. So they're like, there's, it's very like cis men based. And like a lot of these like hetero guys come to our events talking about mental health and like understanding that they have lost a, probably a lot of people more than Jake to suicide and understand it better than anyone like how important it is to talk about and receive help. And and it's great to see the growth and the conversation continue as well. And speaking of conversations, yourself and Kelsey are on season two of your own podcast, No Worries. Yes, we are. So tell us a bit about that and how that came to be. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of stemmed from the foundation. Like we would, especially after we opened our physical location on the Marchant Road, the building was being renovated and we were trying to figure out programming and all these things. There were, there would be all these situations come up where we would be like, yeah, no worries. We got it. It'll be fine. And we were, we were kind of doing that for the ease of other people. Um, 
which I guess a little bit of people pleasing has come from the athletic background of like being a yes man and being like, yep, 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 cool. I'll take that and I'll go change it. And I'll like, I'll figure out how to make it better. So we were doing like a lot of that early and we found ourselves joking. Like when people would leave our presence, we'd be like, we're actually very worried about that. Like, but we wouldn't share it. We were trying to hide it. So like no one else was stressed or worried about it. So that's why we started calling it no worries because we were like, we're having all these great conversations between us both that we're very worried about. The irony is that we keep saying we're not worried about it. And we were like, chances are other people are also worried about similar things. So we were like, we should just start a podcast, have these like conversations out in the open. And the feedback has been so wonderful. And that's great to hear. Again, you guys talk a lot around the vulnerability, a lot around acceptance, a lot around self-compassion. Again, a lot of great topics that people should be able to connect with and I'm definitely will connect with. Where can people find your podcast and where can people find more information about both the foundation and the podcast? No worries. Right. So we have both the foundation and the podcast have their own social media platform. So the Jacob Puddister Memorial Foundation has a website. You can Google us. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram. And then for the podcast, we are no worries underscore the pod. And that's on Instagram, it's on Facebook. I recently learned we have an email as well. And I don't even know what that is, but <laughs> uh, you can normally, yeah, anywhere on Facebook or, so, or Instagram, you can find us. And even the podcast, you can listen on, on Spotify, on Apple Music. It's on a couple of different platforms. It's pretty easy to find. Perfect. And we'll tag all the information on so, for social media for folks there as well, so they can find all this information quite easily. Yeah. And even for the podcast, we're always asking people to like send us what they're worried about. We can receive it anonymously. We never share like who has, who has told us what they're worried about, but some of my, like our best topics have come from people who are like, I'm so worried about this. Is this like something you guys would talk about and like, like get some like fluidity and movement in a conversation. And it's been like so fun. I love the engagement there with people. Cause again, sometimes too, we sit at home with these worries in our mind and feel like we're the only one going through it. But yet when we talk about it, it gives us ourselves power to realize, okay, I'm not the only one going through this. There's other people who are experiencing similar things and might have similar worries as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually only recently we, we did an episode on uh, jealousy and envy. And like, we talked a little bit about the difference of those two things, but also like how they can feel so similar. And it's funny because in the, in that conversation, I talked a lot about sports and how like, even though I accepted that talent wise, I wasn't the strongest player in literally any of the sports that I did. But I, even though I accepted that, I was still very envious of people who like naturally like eased into certain things. Like I even talked about my sister, like she's six foot basketball was something that kind of like was attracted to her, even though she wasn't attracted to it. She was like so good at it. It came so easy to her. I was always so mad that she didn't have to work as hard as I did. And like, she was always asked to play on teams and she would turn it down. And I used to get so mad because I was like, I'm dying for that opportunity. And you're not even taking advantage of like the raw talent that you have. So yeah, like those are the types of things that we often will like talk about. But I, it's funny that we just said that because it brought up that episode and like, wow, I, it brought me right back to like how envious I've been of like other teammates that I've had. And it's so true because again, even after our athletic career is complete, it's so easy to go back to that place mentally and emotionally. Yeah. And again, it brings us back to those raw emotions and they can cut pretty deep for us as well. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I actually, like I stepped away from like, even like division basketball. I stepped away from like the, like the tier two soccer league I was in. I stepped away from all of that a couple of years ago. And it was only, it was probably like in the last two to three years, I found myself kind of looking for structure again, like structure in like athletics and my yoga practice was great. And it's been like, it's kind of kept me on like the straight and narrow for like that need that I have to like be developing like physically like different skills. But I joined a, I actually joined a circus group. So I like do like performance arts now and like aerial hammocks and my teacher, like my aerial teacher, her background is in the military. And I am super, super attracted to the way that she teaches it to us. And it like brings me fully back to those days where I, I feel like a small child and I'm like, Daniela's going to kill me if I don't do this right. Or she's like very nonchalant. And it's like, you can be here or you can't be here. It's totally up to you. Like her attitude is like, I, I love it so much. And it like brings me back to like back then. So it's still in me. Uh, it hasn't totally been gone, but I think I just am more familiar with it now. And it sounds like you have a healthy relationship with that part of you as well. It's, yeah. it's not a part where it's a need, but it's more of an enjoyment. Yeah. And it's something that I, I guess I'm like choosing to participate in versus, versus like feeling like I have to, because it's the only identity I have. Like I can recognize now there's so many different versions of me and like, there's so many different pieces of my identity. Like it's cool that I can engage in this one and it be familiar, but it's not the only one. And I am grateful for that. And it's great to hear in terms of the growth and the work that you do, again, really appreciate the work that you do, the foundation, the podcast. Again, it's so appreciated because, again, the work is definitely needed. And, again, it goes back to being able to shatter the stigma of mental health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing we love to do here on Courtside as well is what we call our rapid questions. So oh, it's wow. just a few questions we ask. First things that kind of come to mind. Okay, I'm here. <laughs> In your opinion, what is one athletic experience that will always stick to you? I think it was one I probably spoke about earlier when I was told that I was allowed to play defense, but not offense because I just wasn't strong enough to be on the floor. And it's interesting how certain ones really kind of stick to us and again, kind of mold into our core. And sometimes too, it's the ones that are really kind of difficult for us, but again, it shapes us as a person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I like that one. What is one word of advice you wish you could give your younger self? Oh my God, to relax. Like, just take it easy. Like, <laughs> there's so much more that's going to happen outside of, like, gosh, the, like, six years you spend in junior high and high school between, like, your whole high school career. And there's so much more to just, like, take it easy and, like, take a breath. It's going to be okay. I think I needed more people to tell me that. Um, yeah. I would love to say that to, like, younger Heidi. Yeah. And definitely a great message for coaches who are currently coaching you yeah. know, current generation. Because, again... Oftentimes we feel that pressure of, okay, this game is means life or this match means everything. Or if I don't make that sprint, then, you know, everything else is going to go downhill. Yeah. And, and, and as if like, what will happen? <laughs> like, it'll be fine. Like you're going to wake up tomorrow and it'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. And this is my favorite question to ask here on Corsair Wellness, but in your opinion, what makes a well athlete? Oh, what makes a well athlete? I feel like an athlete who can advocate for themselves and their needs. Yeah. If I was able to do that, I think I, a lot of my experiences could have looked a little bit different. Um, and also like how I transitioned out of athletics or like the, the, the caliber of athletics I was in. Like if I had to be able to like 
have a little bit more self-advocation, I could have had a different experience. And I like that part because, again, it's something that we don't always talk about here on Course of Wellness, but around how can coaches teach their athletes how to advocate and what advocacy looks like there as well. Because, yeah. again, it's something that's not always taught, but it's definitely an important life skill for on the court, but also off the court as well. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I feel like I advocate for myself every day in so many ways. And, like, being introduced to that through athletics could have been a cool experience. I really appreciate your time, Heidi. Join us here on Corso Wellness, talk about the work you do. And again, thank you so much for the work you do because again, it is so inspiring. It's great to hear, like I said, your journey and like I said, how you're able to have the insight to look at, okay, this is what my journey was, but I'm also able to come out and show what it looks like in terms of being able to give myself that self-compassion that you deserve. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was like such a good time and it's been, yeah, like I feel like you've helped me look at a lot of these experiences from a lens I've never, ever thought about before. And yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And like I said, you have an open door policy here on Corso Wellness. And again, great conversation. Thanks again. Thank you. Folks, if you like today's episode, want to check out other episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also check us out on social media, on our Instagram page, or on Facebook at Wellness Athletic Services. We also have a website now, www.wellnessathleticservices.com. If you have any ideas for the show, or recommend any athletes you'd like to check out on our show, feel free to email us at wellnessathleticservices at gmail.com. Thank you, and stay well. Mm-hmm.